Hello and welcome to the Almost Enlightened podcast. I'm your host, Alex Morin, and today's episode comes a few days after I normally post new episodes because I've been away. I'm going to spend today's episode talking about a portage trip that I just took this past week and some of the insights that I gained as a result of the trip. But in order to begin the story, I guess I'm going to have to tell you what portaging is because I've come to realize that not everybody is familiar with the word. By definition, portage means the carrying of a boat or its cargo between two navigable waters. Now, most people associate the word with camping, although the camping part isn't entirely necessary. But in our case, we did indeed camp. Most people who portage do so because it's an effective way to leave civilization as we know it and enter a domain that's less accessible, or at least it takes a degree of effort to access. So let me rewind to a period of time about a month ago and tell the story from the very beginning. I have two brothers and a sister. One of my brothers is an avid camper, but because he lives on the other side of the country from me, we don't see one another too often and certainly don't get the chance to camp together. It just so happened that my brother's brother-in-law, who lives in the same province as I do, was planning a portaging trip with his son and his father and asked if my brother and I would like to join along with our own kids. I mulled over the invite for a few days, being the kind of guy who's extremely judicious about my vacation time, always trying to maximize my days off by trying to take structured time off with the family. And you see, one of the problems with that approach is that I don't leave a lot of room for the unknown. So, after considering the invite for a couple of days, I thought to myself, yeah, I should really do this trip. Not only will I get a chance to see my brother, but I'll have the chance to hang out with family and friends, be in nature, and do something that I don't ordinarily do. I mean, I've camped before, but I've never portaged. It sounds like a lot of fun, right? So it was decided. I was going to do this trip. Now, I'll spare you the details of the original date getting cancelled because of the provincial parks being shut down due to the COVID lockdown measures, but sure enough, the ban was eventually lifted and we secured a date. It would be three nights and four days in the wilderness of Algonquin Park in Ontario. For those of you that aren't aware, Algonquin Park was established in 1893 for many reasons, some of which include maintaining the natural water supply, the preservation of the forest, the preservation of the birds and animals, as a field for experiments in forestry, as a place of health resort, and finally to maintain its beneficial effects on the climate, all according to algonquinpark.on.ca. It's an extremely biologically diverse area that's home to some 1,000 vascular plant species, over 200 vertebrates, and spans some 7,630 square kilometers of land with over 1,500 lakes within its borders. Needless to say, it is gigantic, and I am very small, relatively speaking. There was some back-and-forth emailing prior to the trip just to lock down who was bringing what and to solidify some of the logistics, but we all arrived at the point of departure on day one, and the trip officially began. Our trip consisted of a 20-minute journey by water taxi to a remote area on Opiongo Lake where the portage would really start. The water taxi unhitched our canoes, and we all took our gear off the boat and into the wilderness. 
Hello, mosquitoes, black flies, deer flies, and probably 20 other species of fly that I'd sooner forget. Just to get to the lake on which we'd be camping, which is called Red Rock Lake, there was a hike up and over a mountain. Not that mountains are that tall in Ontario. The trail itself was 1.9 kilometers, or about one and a quarter miles. Since we were traveling with young children that weren't capable of carrying heavy loads, it was up to the men to carry the big weight, which of course included three 60-pound canoes. Have you ever tried to carry a 60-pound canoe for nearly two kilometers up and over a hill? Hmm. Not my new favorite pastime. And because the weather was pretty warm, I wore shorts and a long-sleeve shirt for the portage. Ooh, rookie mistake. Once you put the canoe on your shoulders, get it balanced, and hold it with your hands, you have no more appendages with which to swat flies and mosquitoes. You're basically a gigantic piece of slow-moving meat. On the first leg of the portage, and yes, there were multiple legs, I watched the bugs feast on my hands, the only recourse being the profanities flying from my mouth which I had to keep mostly closed because, as it turns out, mosquitoes and flies dig the inside of your body just as much as they dig your skin. But, for all the hassle of the two trips that had to be made, it was cool to test my endurance and resolve. At one point, with the canoe on my shoulders and about five mosquitoes on my left hand, I remember thinking, you know what, this could be worse. There could be ten mosquitoes sucking the blood out of my left hand. Well, eventually, the portage was complete with all of our gear on the other side of the mountain and a mere 1.6 kilometers left to paddle, straight into a headwind to our campsite. I had my six-year-old in the canoe because my 17-year-old had sprained both sides of his ankle and chipped the bone just two weeks before the trip and had to stay home. Needless to say, my six-year-old Noah, who you've met on a previous episode if you're a regular listener, isn't the strongest paddler. So with a tent, sleeping bags, and a ton of other gear in the canoe, we began rowing. Now remember, I had just completed a 1.9-kilometer portage times three legs for a total of 5.7 kilometers of grueling exercise up and down a hill carrying some pretty heavy weight. At this point, it wasn't as though I was fresh and ready to paddle. We must have made it a few hundred meters until we hit the open water where the wind was gusting. It began to push my canoe sideways and then backwards. I tried to correct the drift, but the wind was just too strong. I was losing steam quickly and wasn't too sure how I'd make it to the campsite. But one of the cool things about adversity is that it forces you to use the faculties of reason and judgment in order to make decisions. I decided that I wasn't going to win a battle with the wind and allowed myself to be pushed sideways and backwards. I decided to work with nature instead of against it. In fact, I actually turned away from my destination and headed in a backwards direction, but across the lake to the side on which my campsite was located. Now, with the wind at my back, I took a diagonal angle to the far shore where I figured the tall trees would block some of the wind. It turns out that my assumption was correct and I was able to turn myself in the right direction once I got closer to the shore where there was some cover from the wind and then I could paddle towards my campsite. 
We made it safely, and I was pretty proud of the decision to use the wind as an ally instead of as an enemy. I've had to do that in business a lot, meaning that sometimes the conditions for success aren't optimal. In fact, they're sometimes hostile. But what I've learned over the years is to remain calm, assess the situation, and begin to see how a challenging situation can be turned into an opportunity. I've done that so many times in business that the decision I made on the water that day was merely an extension of that type of thinking. It really goes to show that at any given time, life will teach you lessons that you can use across multiple situations, even when those situations don't resemble one another in the least. When we finally pulled the canoe onto shore, the skies were gray and it looked like the rain was threatening. My son and I hustled to get our tent out of the boat and set it up before it got wet. I was a little envious of my brother's brand new high-quality tent and his brother-in-law's tent palace. Mine was from Walmart, and in previous camping experiences, it can quickly turn into a kiddie pool under the right circumstances. So when it started to pour buckets about five minutes after we got the tent set up, I was a little concerned that I hadn't brought a snorkel on the trip with which to enter my tent. But within an hour or so, the heavy rain let up, and guess what? Our tent was dry. Thank you, Walmart. We had a quick wash in the lake and then lit a fire and got dinner going. It was absolutely fabulous to be camping with such pro campers. My brother, my brother's brother-in-law, and his father are all seasoned campers. They thought of things that would never have crossed my mind. Like how to bring in enough whiskey, but not too much that it makes the portage unbearable. They're also fabulous fire pit cooks and made sure that we always had enough to eat and that we had the right amount of protein and nutrients to keep our bodies strong for the trip. I was really appreciative of their efforts and learned a ton from their experience. After dinner, we put the kids to bed and my brother and I stayed up to catch up and connect. As the fire was roaring, I looked up through the tall white pines and saw a star. And then another star. Are you kidding me? Was it humanly possible that the clouds were disappearing? Well, I guess it was because I watched the most amazing night sky I've ever seen since a trip I took to the Australian outback after I graduated from high school many years ago. It was absolutely glorious. And under those stars, I had an opportunity to connect with my brother free of any distraction in the world. That is, until I remembered something I'd forgotten to do. Now let me tell you that there was zero cell reception where we were camping. You could paddle for 10 hours and you'd still have no reception. So I was truly disconnected from the world. If something were to go wrong, it'd be up to me to figure it out. So as I was watching the stars and reconnecting with my brother, I suddenly remembered that I'd forgotten to cancel two meetings. Prior to the trip, I'd looked at my calendar and canceled or moved around all of my Friday and Monday appointments. There was one standing appointment on Friday morning that, for whatever reason, didn't make it into my calendar. There was also a Saturday meeting that I'd not seen because I typically don't work on weekends and never considered looking at my weekend schedule when I was canceling meetings for the trip. Nevertheless, as I stared up at Ursa Major Constellation, it struck me that I'd let two companies down by not rescheduling my appointments. 
At this point, I'd ghosted the folks for the Friday meeting and wondered what they were thinking had happened to me. I also had the Saturday morning meeting coming up and knew that there was no way that I'd be able to tell my business partner that I wouldn't be on the call. Any of these people could call me, email me, text me, or try whatever means to get in touch with me, and I wouldn't be able to respond. Man, did I ever feel like an idiot. So here I am in the world's most beautiful setting, chilling out with my brother, and I'm panicking because I'm damaging my reputation by not being accountable. At one point, I even considered paddling back to civilization, but that ride would probably be a 10-hour canoe ride, and even then, there still wouldn't be cell service at the outfitting lodge. I was left with no other choice but to surrender. I teach this kind of stuff all the time to various companies and individuals, so I decided to follow my own advice. The first thing I did was to consider my intention. Had I intended to do the right thing and advise all customers that I was going away? The answer was yes. Am I an accountable person? Hmm, another yes. If I'm honest and tell these people what truly happened when I get back, will they forgive me? I believed that the answer was yes. So instead of letting my honest mistake ruin a beautiful night and a beautiful trip, I decided right there and then that since there's nothing that can be done about the current situation, to let it go. And I did just that. Were there any moments on the trip that I thought of the error again? Uh, Yes, there were. However, I was pretty good about going through those steps I just shared and moving on with my camping adventure. I'm glad I did that because there have been many times in my life where I'm so hard on myself that I just won't let it go. I can totally see how the old me would have stewed over the mistake and consequently diminished the beauty of the journey I was on. But fortunately, that didn't happen this time. So I spent the next hour or so bonding with my brother and truly taking in the energy and the beauty of everything around me. It was a perfect night. Hey, for those of you that are seasoned campers, let me ask you a question. Why is it that the moment you get into your tent to go to sleep, you have to take a pee? I have perfect bladder control. When I'm at home, I'll unload my bladder before going to sleep and never have to wake up to go to the washroom in the middle of the night. And for the record, I didn't have one sip of the whiskey that was brought on the trip. I actually quit drinking a couple of months ago, so it's not like my liver was processing alcohol. And I was sure to empty my bladder before getting into the tent, yet I still had to pee a couple of times during the night. Someone please explain that to me. So in spite of exposing myself a couple of times that evening to hungry insects, I slept quite well. Occasionally I woke up throughout the night and reveled in the sounds. The wind through the trees was exhilarating. The call of the loons was symphonic. The gentle movement of the water that was literally about 20 feet from my tent was so soothing. And the sound of snoring, not from my tent, but from one of the tents on the other side of the camping site was, well, actually quite humorous. See, my brother's father-in-law snores, but it's all about perception, isn't it? The fact that at 75 years old, this man made the trip was and is astounding. And he didn't just make the trip, he was a force teaching us about fishing, how to love, 
how to enjoy life, and how to be a beautiful human being. I was truly inspired by the wisdom and caring nature of that man. He's a total example of someone that has many qualities that I would like to make my own. I am so very fortunate to have been able to spend quality time with him and believe that his energy was something that all of us on the trip were lucky to enjoy. We had three boys on the trip with us, ages 6, 9, and 12. When we woke up on Saturday morning, the boys were eager to do some fishing. My brother's father-in-law declared that there would be a fishing derby that day and even created prizes and criteria for the boys and their derby. Not knowing the first thing about fishing, Noah and I learned a lot about rods, fishing line, bait, floaters, casting, finding fishing holes, and so many other awesome tidbits of knowledge. The derby began and the boys set out on canoe with their fathers to do some fishing. Noah and I decided to stay at the campsite and fish from the shore. Almost immediately, Noah caught a fish. It was a small perch, which we released back into the water. A few minutes later, he caught another one. It was also a small perch that we released. We didn't catch any speckled trout that day, but I think that Noah caught the fishing bug. It's interesting that the term to hook a fish is equally applicable to all of the things that hook us as humans. Really, when you think about it, we're not that much different than a fish, swimming through life and occasionally biting onto something shiny or tasty that we see in front of ourselves. Sometimes, however, when we bite into something, we don't get released. I think of social media in that way. It's the shiny object that lures us toward itself. Once we take the bite, we're hooked. And once we're hooked, we often have a difficult time taking the barb out of ourselves. Now, I won't belabor the point, but I do find it interesting how easy it is to get distracted by shiny bait, be it a new car, a big house, an exotic vacation, or whatever it is that we fixate upon. Anyways, when the other boys came back from their fishing excursion, one of them, the nine-year-old, had won the derby by catching a speckled trout that he released to right back into the lake. It was a beautiful moment to see the pride in the boys and the time they spent with their fathers learning and having fun. The rest of that afternoon consisted of relaxing, swimming, and doing some chores around camp. Oh, and watching the kids attempt to catch frogs and water snakes. Honestly, what could be better? A little later, my brother's brother-in-law headed out to do some solo fishing. This dude is a machine. He's probably one of the strongest guys I know in terms of physical prowess and so unbelievably mentally resilient. He was truly the anchor on our trip, shouldering the biggest load, doing the most work, and being an exceptional person and a dad. To watch this guy's energy in motion is truly a sight to behold. I'm so grateful every time I get to spend time with him as he's a beautiful soul. And of course, he brought back a sizable speckled trout from his fishing journey, which provided yet another learning opportunity as his father taught us how to clean and prepare the fish for cooking. What a marvelous experience. And although I may have to see that fish cleaning demo again before I can replicate it perfectly, I'm pretty confident that in a crunch, I could now figure it out for myself and if need be, be self-reliant in a situation in which the only source of food would have to come from my own efforts. Needless to say, we slow cooked the trout in foil over an indirect flame on the campfire and it was beyond delicious. It's definitely a meal I will never forget. 
We were all dead tired after a long portage the previous day and a full day on Saturday, so bedtime came pretty early for all of us on Saturday evening. I slept extremely well that night and even got up in the middle of the night to unload the bladder and feed the insects. But I actually don't remember much else as I had acclimatized to the natural setting and became one with it the moment my eyes closed. What a restful night that was. I should probably add that I tried something interesting that night. Just before bed, as I was sitting at the campfire and feeling the ache of my shoulders and neck from the previous day's portage, I looked at the trees, the earth, and the water, and I acknowledged the fact that it's all perfect. It's its own ecosystem that heals itself nonstop. I wondered if I could be part of that healing energy. As soon as that thought crossed my mind, I felt the love of the trees embrace me. Honestly, I could literally feel their energy, and I knew that if I embraced them back, I would heal like they do after a windstorm or whatever calamity unfolds around them. When I got to my tent, I breathed it all in, and I fell asleep. When I woke up the following morning, I felt like a million bucks. My neck was perfect and my sore shoulders were markedly improved. I do believe that there's an energy in nature that we are able to tap into. Actually, I believe we have that same energy within us, except that we've forgotten how to use it. When we get back into nature, all of the evidence of its power and its beauty surrounds us, reminding us that we are ourselves nature as well. It was a pretty special moment and a profound realization for me. When we woke up on Sunday morning for our last full day at camp, it was another beautiful day. The sun was shining, the fire still had embers in it, and we were able to stoke those embers and start another fire so that we could heat up some breakfast. Noah and I went for a canoe ride shortly after breakfast and explored the lake. We noticed the way the wind moves the water and consequently where to navigate in order to create the smoothest journey. We saw seagulls, loons, and even a few fish that revealed themselves by jumping out of the water perhaps to get a look at us two city slickers. It was neat to guess how deep the lake was in parts, and fascinating to see the big rocks presumably left over from the retreat of the last ice age. You truly get a sense of time and history when you're in a place that shows its age as well as its youthful growth and energy. In fact, everywhere you look, you see the cycle of birth, life, death, and rebirth. We saw trees growing out of dead trees, fungus growing out of tree stumps, and algae thriving in the most peculiar of places. Everything we saw was pure energy and entered the soul as though we were drinking it from a cup. We'd brought a fishing rod with us on the canoe ride, and Noah was getting pretty good at casting. He cast the line, let it extend about 100 feet, and then shortly thereafter, the kid caught his first brook trout, also known as a speckled trout. It wasn't massive but it was beautiful. We released it, felt a little bad about hooking it, but imagined it healing pretty quickly and continuing to have a beautiful life near the bottom of Red Rock Lake. We all have our place, don't we? And at that moment, Noah and I felt pretty much like we were in the right place. A swim and a wash shortly after our canoe trip was the perfect tonic to the heat of the sun. We relaxed for those last few warm hours and watched the kids play silly games, laugh, scream at the top of their lungs, that's no joke, and just be themselves. It really was quite perfect. 
At the campfire on the last evening, after we'd put the kids to bed and everyone else except my brother and I had retired, I had another awesome chat with my bro. How we got onto the topic of mental health, I have no idea. But we had another epic conversation that centered around well-being, and particularly the stresses that often accompany work. My brother's fortunate to work for an excellent company that takes care of its people. In spite of how good the company is, my brother's had some challenges of late dealing with the stress of expectations and a fairly significant workload. Heck, who doesn't have that these days? But his company's been there for him, offering resources and a caring ear. My brother told me about a particular video conference he'd recently had where one of his superiors, a C-suite executive, revealed his soul by showing his vulnerable emotions during a particular call. And we're talking about vulnerable emotions, not negative ones. I really couldn't believe my ears. I actually had to stop him and verify what he'd just told me. When my brother confirmed what he'd said, it warmed my heart. Could it be that massive corporations are finally beginning to show their hearts? I think that the answer is yes. More and more these days, I'm hearing similar stories. Leaders are evolving, and they're far more empathetic and compassionate than they've ever been in some cases. We certainly have a long way to go, and I know this because not only have I been in the corporate world for over two decades, but I now work with corporations on a daily basis from the other end of the spectrum. I've seen it all, and I continue to see it all. But it was fitting that on a trip in which I felt a lot of healing, that a story about a progressive corporation should make its way to my ears. It was nice to hear, and extremely uplifting. The moon was barely visible on that last night as the clouds began to accumulate. The wind was switching directions from the west and now coming from the south, and even I know that means rain. When we woke up on Monday morning, I needed to pack my tent up before that rain started falling. Rolling up a soaking wet tent is less desirable than wiping one's backside with leaves, which actually happened on this trip, but only once. But we all got it done. We cleaned up the campsite and made it look as though nobody had been there in a decade. All of us respect nature and know that since we're a product of Mother Nature, we're only hurting ourselves when we pollute the environment. It was pretty awesome to leave that site and know that we'd cared for it, been part of it, and shared an experience with it that will last a lifetime. With the wind now coming from the south and my newfound navigation expertise, the canoe ride back to the portage spot was actually relatively smooth. I was a little nervous about the portage trip back to Opiango Lake because I knew it entailed a lot more hiking and one grueling trip with a canoe on my back. But in an attempt to cut the amount of trips we'd have to take to get our gear back to the water taxi pickup spot, I donned a pretty heavy backpack and a canoe for my first leg. Ugh. Big mistake. I knew about 100 meters into the hike that I wasn't going to make it. The first uphill climb was excruciating. I barely made it to the top of the hill before hocking the canoe off my shoulders and onto the ground. By now, it had started raining and I was already drenched with sweat. There were five mosquitoes on my right hand at this time. I rested for a couple of minutes and then tried again. This time I made it about 400 meters, but had to drop the canoe again. I repeated that sequence two more times until I couldn't go any further. So I decided to jettison the backpack and return for it later. 
That helped a little bit, but the damage had been done. I'd exhausted a lot of my energy and had to make several more stops before getting to the end of the portage. A bucket of sweat and hundreds of bug bites later. As I walked back the mile and a quarter to where we'd left the other equipment, I decided to take in the forest and all of its beauty one last time. As I did that, it began to pour. Not a little rain, but full-on buckets. I was by myself at this point. We'd left the kids at the water taxi pickup spot with my brother's father-in-law, and the three of us men were all on different cycles throughout the portage. So there I was by myself in the middle of a forest with rain coming down that was akin to a waterfall. I loved it. I nestled myself under a gigantic maple tree and a few spruce trees and was able to keep some of the rain off of me, but by that point, it was futile. I may as well just enjoy every last drop of the rain, which I totally did. And what a glorious feeling. How freeing to see your adversary as your best friend. I bloody well loved it. And I began to cry. My tears mixing with the rain, probably doing the exact same thing the universe was doing as it rained down on me. As I mentioned in the last Almost Enlightened episode, we're all part of a bigger system. That really hit me on this trip, and I think I was humbled once again to know that I am both powerful and powerless all at the same time. In the end, I did five legs of the portage that afternoon, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. Yeah, I got bit several times. Yeah, I tripped and got a little muddy. Yeah, I was drenched. And yeah, I was smiling. When the water taxi showed up on time, we were all elated, but it was bittersweet. The joy of familiarity was slowly coming back, but the exhilaration of the unknown was slipping away. I did a meditation this morning and channeled the energy of the forest, the lake, and all of its inhabitants. It's the closest I've felt to the serenity of my time in Algonquin since I've been back. I guess that trip will always be part of me and will always be accessible by my memory. I'm grateful for that and know that I'll need to harness that energy once in a while when things get a little hairy. I also know that I need to make time to do more of what I did on that trip, and that's to simply let life unfold in a natural way. As a little gift for sticking around and listening to the entirety of today's podcast, I'm going to do something special. I'm going to have friend of the show, Noah Morin! <laughs> Noah Morin, come on and say a few words about his experience. Noah, this is your second time on the Almost Enlightened podcast, and I am thrilled to reintroduce you to our audience so that you can tell our friends all about your impressions of our portage trip. So Noah, how did you enjoy the trip? It was amazing, but to start off, obviously, you could ask me a couple of questions because it's an interview. I will ask Everybody you a couple of questions. Everybody wants to know my brain before I talk about everything. Okay, let's explore that brain of yours and let's explore what's stored in that brain of yours Sounds in terms of your memories good. of the trip. Yeah. So, Noah, what was your favorite part of the trip? I'm sure you had many favorite parts, but what yeah. was one of your favorite parts of the trip? Probably when we first got there. Oh, yeah? What about it? Well, it was quite a shock to your brain when you're just like, I've been waiting for this moment, and I've been patient enough, and it came. 
And when it came, what did you think when you saw nature and all like its beauty? Like what was going through my mind? Yeah, what was going through your mind? Well, it was so unique and so such a cool experience to actually just only feel energy. Like you only felt nature and what really matters to you. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. So it felt a little bit different than being in your house? It did. <laughs> it did, didn't it? And did you really get a sense that it was comfortable or did you feel like you were surviving or how did you feel? Like, what was well, it like? Well, it was basically survival. So it's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit different. Like I was learning how to live, but like, it's a different story when it comes to camping. When you live at your house, it's different. But when it comes to camping, it's a whole other story. So it's cool that we were out of cell phone reception. I mean, we, we could not you get a would. hold of anybody if we wanted to. So if something went wrong, we had to solve the problem, and right? we had to canoe fast. <laughs> yeah, you'd have to canoe pretty quickly. Hey, were there any scary moments on the trip? Was there anything that you found uh, particularly frightening? like terrifying but when we went on the water taxi back mm -hmm. when it was just and then it, it was really high and then we started to get going and it lowered it was kind of scary when it just went oh you're talking about lowered. when the bow went up into the just air went, the and then it started going down gotcha i kept saying like is this totally fine is this okay for everything and i'm like terrified and then it's like well Okay, everything's fine. <laughs> Were you afraid on day number one when we got into our canoe after the portage and we got hit with all that wind? Oh, my wind, dude. That was horrifying for you. <laughs> you talk about that. Me? Me talk that's about that? Not, that's not my problem. I did talk about it a little bit earlier in the podcast, so people are familiar with that event, but I was wondering how you felt. Like, were you scared at all, or did you know that we'd be just fine? I mean, you said the F word like two times. <laughs> I did. You're right. <laughs> I did. Oh my gosh, that's so funny and embarrassing for me, but um, but still funny nevertheless. It's almost enlightened. You're supposed to be enlightened by these laughs. Oh, I am far from enlightened, my friend. <laughs> um, so we navigated that properly. Okay. We got to our campsite and that was pretty awesome, wasn't it? And what were some of your favorite moments while you were there? Oh, that is an intense question. Hmm, Okay. What Talk to me about fishing. Three speckle, no, one speckle trout and three perches, where it's all our fish. Mm-hmm. And we released them all back into the water, didn't we? We did. We did. When you caught the speckle trout, you're a little bit like, I don't know how to take the hook out. But then you took it out. Yep, we got it back out. Okay, well, the last perch, that, the third perch that I caught, I, I was going to put it back in the water, but the top gill was sharp. Like it scraped me a little bit. Yeah, yeah. We've got to be careful with those fish, don't we? Mm -hmm. Now, that was really your first time fishing and one of my first times. I've tried it before, but th th this was kind of like new for me, really. Like you caught, we caught quite a lot of fish for that lake. I mean, there's a lot of fish in that. We literally saw a perch die. Do you, do you know why? We didn't watch a perch die, but he was like a dead perch just floating in the we water. We did see that one day. Yeah, we did see that. But we, it has to die at some point, so it's not a big deal. They do. They do. It's the cycle of life. Uh, things live and they die, right? And I'm going to die saw. at some point. I'm only six, but <laughs> one day I will be dead. Hopefully not for a very, very, very long time, yeah, I should hope. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> 
talk to me a little bit about our dinners. We had to fend for ourselves. Potatoes we had to cook and for ourselves. steak. That was a good one, wasn't it? That, that first meal. That was my favorite meal. Yeah? That was my favorite good food meal. Did you enjoy the speckled trout that we cooked over the fire as well? 80% deliciousness. 80%? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's not bad. I give it a hundred, man. I loved that fish. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of meat, right? That's true. Salmon, I kind of like, but like it's it's. I've never tried a speckled trout before. Right. So it's a new thing to try. Well, for you to give it an eighty percent, that's pretty good, isn't it? That's pretty yeah. commendable. Very cool. It is. How did you enjoy swimming? It was cold. It's like seventy. I don't know, like 74, and then in this pool, it's like 84, Then I went in like a couple of minutes ago, and I'm just like, I'm in heaven. <laughs> the water was a little cool. I think it was probably a lot cooler than 74, if I had to guess. It was uh, it, it was fairly crisp when we were in the water, wasn't Say it? 40. But it was refreshing, though, wasn't it? On those days when it was really sunny, oh, it was nice to hop I in that water. When I put my foot on on that time when I was fishing, I'm like, this is the most refreshing thing ever. Yeah, it, it was, wasn't it? It was pretty nice, all right. And did you love the trees? Did you find them beautiful? Yeah, they were really nice. Mm. What kind of trees were there there? Birds, uh, wait, pines, pines in general. Spruce trees. I saw yew trees also, actually. What? I did, yeah. Holy. Yeah, there were some beautiful trees there, weren't if there? If you guys don't know, I'm just going to warn you. Apparently, to my friend, if you eat one of these black things that are in a red thing, you might actually uh, stop your heart, so maybe don't. <laughs> Uh, you're talking about the berries that come out of yew trees, typically around the, the fall. black ones. Yeah, I, I don't know that they stop your heart, but they're probably poisonous. I don't know. I'd have to look into that. Mm-hmm. But uh, so we've been told. That's mm-hmm. something we'll have to research, won't we? We will have to. Hey, Noah, was there a time where you were scared by the thunder on that first day that we were there and it started when to rain after echo, we were setting our tent up? When the, okay, it was a little bit scary with lightning because... There was such a big echo there, but it, the, the lightning was so far away, but it sounded like he was right beside us. It was really loud. It was a little bit creepy, but at the same time, mm. it's just an echo. So, Well, I got to tell you something. One of my favorite things about the trip was spending time with you. I thought I thought it was awesome. I thought we had a great time. I thought that you were just, we just so terrific on the trip. You know, you... You really powered through. You helped out quite a lot. You were brave. You kept the fire going at times. You were putting wood on the fire. I I really thought you did a wonderful job. So Mm -hmm. I I enjoyed my time with you, and I will remember that forever. I will, too. That's awesome. Um, You know what? Let's say bye to our friends that are listening right now. Um, I want to thank you for coming on the show and telling everybody about your part of the experience. You are very welcome, Alex Moran. Noah, what do we say to our guests or our, our, our listeners when we sign off here? Thank you very much to listening to Noah Jace Morin's voice. <laughs> if you'd like to hear more Almost Enlightened episodes, then the website is www.almostenlightened.life. Awesome. Well, you're good at that. And we didn't even practice that. That's uh, pretty darn good. Well, I know the website, okay? I literally listen to your podcast on my iPad. You do. You're my number one listener. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. Usually when I have time, I'd listen to the Life at Six episode. But. Right. And what's the what's the thing we always say to people at the end of our podcast? I forget. 
Thank you for listening to us and listening to our podcast, and I appreciate you. That's right. So on behalf of myself and on behalf of Noah, we appreciate you. Thanks so much for listening today. Goodbye. Also, one more thing. Okay. I, when we were there, we saw a moose, and there was moose poop beside the box. And did we talk about the box? Uh, we didn't, but we could conceivably talk about that for a couple of seconds. Right. I don't know if it's a topic everyone wants to hear about, but go ahead. <laughs> you can talk about the box. What is, what is the box? What is, everyone's wondering, what it's is the box? Like it's, so they dig the hole in the ground because there's no actual place to go to the washroom. And then there is this like wooden box thing. And then there's a hole, right? And then you go to the washroom and, and it, let's just say I've never smelt something better than that (laughs) it it smelled bad didn't smell so good but you got used to it you were brave you used it when necessary and turned out being okay Mm -hmm. awesome and then yeah there there was a moose poo right beside it looked like a can of beans got spilled (laughs) like the moose poo looked like you know what they call that the the, the campers and the hikers and hunters they call that uh, I think they call it moose scatter I think that's the technical word for it. Moose scatter instead of mosquitoes. Yeah, instead of mosquitoes, instead of moose poo, they call it moose scatter. All right, let's sign off once and for all. Thank you very much, everybody. And we appreciate you. you. (laughs) Woohoo! See ya.